Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. Today we're in number five on our series on the anatomy of revival. We're going to talk about what made this revival unique. Every revival has something that makes it unique. And we'll talk about the one with Paul in Ephesus as the great revival broke out there. Join me today. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian. Hi, I'm Pastor Bob Yandian. Welcome again to Student of the Word. We're here to open up the Word of God and teach. In fact, this is lesson number five in our series on anatomy of revival. And breaking it apart as the Word of God would tell us how revival begins. And, uh, you know, I think I've mentioned this before, but in, in our own country, you know, among churches and stuff, the way we study revival is to go back and study revivals, you know, from the past, you know, number of centuries. We go back and study the Azusa revival, go back further than that, those that broke out in Germany, those that broke out in, in Europe and uh, England and, and some of the famous people that came from there, ministers we're all familiar with. And then, of course, our own revivals of the early 1900s and then the healing revivals, the charismatic movement, the word movement, all the different things that have happened, you know, throughout uh, some of our lifetimes and even before that time. And that's how we study revival. But listen, there is a, there's a section of the book of Acts dedicated to revival. Although revival hit churches after churches and churches, still the one that hit Ephesus is better explained, more detailed to let us know how revival starts, how it progresses, how it ends, and then what is the end result of revival? Because God has it called to live us in a perpetual revival. No, revival has a definite end to it. We are in verse 9 of chapter 19 of the book of Acts. Let's just quickly go back and take some uh, recount of what happened. At the ending of chapter 18, Paul came to Ephesus with Aquila and Priscilla, and then he started to minister in the synagogue, which he always did. He went to the synagogue first when he came to a town. Usually after two or three times of preaching there, they kicked him out. But he found a different, a different attitude this time. This time the synagogue loved him. Those Jews that were there loved him. In fact, he had to, to leave to go back to Jerusalem uh, for the Feast of Pentecost, and they begged him to stay. This was not the norm for them to beg for him to stay because of, again, the radical difference between those that dis distinctly saw the Old Testament as the means of salvation and Jesus now coming saying, no, they spoke of me. And now Paul speaking of the fact that all those things back there were wonderful and none of them would save you. They're all pointing to the one that would save you. And Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Everything the word of God spoke about, every prophet wrote about and every sacrifice spoke of, every law taught of, these are the things again that the Old Testament and when Paul came to teach these things, they became angry at him because they had turned the means of teaching about Messiah into the means of salvation. And that's not what the law was given for. Anyway, Paul was very well received in this case, went off and while he was gone, Aquila and Priscilla were there to minister. And then Apollos came along and Apollos was eloquent and well able to teach to the minister to the uh, Jews and went into the synagogue, taught, and many of them believed in Jesus Christ. And then later on again, he left, Apollos left, Paul came back, and that's the taking up of chapter 19. Paul enters in back into Ephesus, and this time again is well received in the synagogue and stays there for quite a while until now we come to verse nine. In verse nine, we have the hardening of the attitudes of the leadership 
of the synagogue. The average one's there and many followed Paul out. Many left the synagogue, started with him in the revival. And of course, there are many, many blessed uh, Jews that came out of the synagogue and believed in Jesus Christ. So verse nine says, here's when he was kicked out of the, of the synagogue. But when certain ones were hardened and did not believe, they spoke evil of the way before the multitudes. They knew that Paul was affecting the multitudes, so they went out and tried to discredit him in front of people. In other words, they couldn't come against his doctrine, so they tried to discredit him. They spoke evil of the way before the multitude. He left them and separated the disciples, those who were now taken in by the gospel, those who received Jesus, and he took the disciples with him out of the synagogue to help him begin this revival, disputing daily in the school of a man named Tyrannus. So not everyone received Paul's message. Some hardened their hearts the more that they heard. But not only did some not receive, but set themselves in opposition to the word of God. And of course, Psalm chapter one and verse one refers to these people as scorners. And that uh, they actually, you know, even though they hear the truth, they basically just cover their ears. Uh, they don't wanna hear it. And so they begin to scorn and come out against the, those that are ministering the word of God. So Paul went to the Jew first as he usually did, but left when they rejected and now sets his sight on the Gentiles. The school of Tyrannus was a medical school. The medical students learned in the morning the building was left empty during the day. And Paul used this building during the afternoons and the evening for two years. And this is gonna be Paul's most successful base of operation. This revival lasted longer than any other revival. The entire revival lasted three years. This will be brought out in the next chapter, chapter 20. And in verse 10, it says, this continued for two years so that all those who dwelled in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. In a period of two years, the entire continent of Asia had heard about the gospel, had heard about the revival at Ephesus. And literally, whenever they came here and, and those mentioning those that helped start the revival in Ephesus said those that have turned the world upside down have come here also. I like to think of it this way. The world is already upside down. Satan turned it upside down whenever he got to Adam and Eve. And so he became the leader of the nations of the world and the kingdoms right now of the world belong to Satan. So when these disciples came, they turned the world right side up. And that's what we do as Christians. Whenever we get a person saved, we turn them right side up. This is the way they belong. And they begin to find out after a while, especially with discipleship, that you're really swimming against the stream. And uh, the world thinks this is the right way to go. But once you become a Christian, start to turn, you face all this opposition. But you know what? After a while, as you begin to head upstream, it becomes a normal way of life. I like to think of it this way. Walking on water is normal. You know, after a while, you're walking on water so long, it's just a regular way of life. Following Jesus is the regular way of life. And you begin to realize something. The masses of the world are headed in the wrong direction. But thank God for the right direction. I like to think of it this way too. When Jesus talked about two roads and two gates and which road are you on, which gate are you going to enter? Those roads really went the opposite direction. They weren't both going in the same direction. No, God's road turns and goes the other way. And you're walking toward the, uh, down this road, looking at everybody else on the other road, going the opposite way. And you begin to find out that Jesus Christ is really right when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Of course, that's what Paul came to minister here in Ephesus. So the two-year revival spread throughout the Roman province of Asia, and this area included six other cities, which later established churches. Together, these made up the seven churches of Asia found in Revelation 1 through 3, and all of these churches began from the one church, Ephesus. 
So not only did converts make converts, not only did people that were born again lead others to the Lord, but a church began other churches. This is quite scriptural and happens today that many churches in the city were founded out of one church or one church founded churches in cities all around there. And this revival began with the word of God. And so both Jews and Greeks heard the word. This is what Paul was speaking. And God accompanied and confirmed that word with signs following. This is found in the uh, layout in Mark chapter 16 and verse 20 of the Great Commission. And then Hebrews chapter two, verses three and four also talks about with mighty signs and wonders. And then of course, Romans 15, I love that verse of scripture where Paul said, I have come and fully preached the gospel of Jesus Christ with mighty signs and wonders. Basically, if signs and wonders don't follow your ministry, you are not fully preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So chew on that one for a while, okay? Again, ask yourself that. In fact, you should be using signs and wonders to, to win people to the Lord. And I'm not talking about, you know, demonstrations of angels coming from heaven and the glory cloud appearing or something like that. I'm talking about just laying hands on a sick sinner, praying for him and then leading him to the Lord. That's what Jesus did. He didn't, he didn't heal only Christians. In fact, no, they went out and gathered people from everywhere and he healed every person that came to him. And then at the end of all that healing, it said, and some believed in him. This is what signs and wonders are for, is a great accompaniment and a great sweeping in of people to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Healing is temporary, salvation is eternal, but God will use a temporary miracle to help them introduce them and for them to receive the eternal miracle of receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So this revival was going on during this time. Let me just kind of tell you what the revival was like as Paul was in the school of Tyrannus during the day. As he was in that school of Tyrannus, many that came were the wives and they brought their children with them and they were at this miracle meeting. And of course, then later in the afternoon when the men got off of work, they would come and join their wives there. The major industry was the making of idols, silver idols. They were statues to Diana, which is the main goddess of the Ephesian uh, city. And so they worshiped her. And so with all the people coming in from all over the place to the uh, conventions, whatever they had there, to, I mean, to mark their times of great sex and going to the, to the temple and the, and the priestesses there and the priests that were there and all the different things and, and the perversion that went on there. I mean, when sinners left there, they'd remember this, you know, kind of like going to Las Vegas and they'd buy some, some emblem of Las Vegas to take with them to remember what happened in Las Vegas stays there. Well, they bought these silver statues and they were everywhere, all different sizes sizes of them, and they all came from one industry in the town, which was the major industry of the town, the making of silver idols. So these men would come from their occupations, come there. They would see the signs and wonders, except Jesus is Lord and Savior. And what's hit been going to be hit heavy by the end of this chapter is sales of silver statues went down like, you know, immensely. They were on the shelves collecting dust. And what were they gonna do with them, you know? Well, that's when this riot began to break out as the silversmith and the silversmith union literally caused a riot in the street to try to get rid of Paul and uh, again, bring back the worship of Diana because to them, it was all money. Follow the money trail, that's what it was. So let's find out what happened while Paul was at the uh, school of Tyrannus ministering the word of God. It says in verse 11, God wrought or worked special miracles through the hands of Paul. 
Again, these miracles that were performed were in response to the word of God being preached and the faith of the people. And the revival began with miracles accompanying the word of God, signs and wonders following the word of God. And the revival ended with the word of God increasing. I want you to see this. That'll be found in verse 20. Between now and verse 20, miracles, 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 miracles. Thousands being born again. But by verse 20, we come to, suddenly we have a shift from miracles to the word of God. And suddenly the word of God increases. And so this is the purpose. We'll find this out. This is the purpose of revival is not to just keep miracles, miracles, miracles going throughout the city, but to switch this over to the people and switch it over to churches. And now people following the word of God begin to go out and lay hands on the sick, see mighty signs and wonders happen. And what comes into town through one person who operates in signs and wonders, then shifted over to thousands of people as churches begin to expand and believers come. And that way, that apostle who is Paul can go to another place. That's the purpose of revival. We'll talk more about that later. But these special miracles, which came through the hands of Paul, came because the women who came during the day took their uh, handkerchiefs. And while Paul was under this tremendous special gifts that he was operating in and signs and wonders were operating through him, the power of the Holy Spirit was upon him they would lay their handkerchiefs on him and then later take them over to the sick and the demon possessed and the people would be healed. The men would come to the meeting and take off their work aprons and shake off the tools that were in them from making silver statues during the day and lay that on Paul. And they would go out and lay it on Paul. And we find out in the next verse that from his body were taken to the sick handkerchiefs that came from the women and then aprons, which came from the men, the work aprons. When we come back from the break, we'll get in this and specifically talk about it because this leads us to the seven sons of Sceva. What a great story that is. See you after the break. At the dawn of the church age, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit and power to his followers. From Pentecost, they were led by his Spirit to blaze a trail through the hazardous maze of pagan cultures and religious legalism. Like wildfire, the gospel spread through the known world, bringing salvation to a whole generation and triumph and trial to the church. In a New Testament commentary on Acts, Bob Yannian explores the exploits of those sent to uproot the binding vines of religion and philosophy and to sow the kingdom of God. Through evaluations of early congregations and detailed descriptions of their cities, Pastor Bob walks us through the exciting, perilous adventure of the early church. Order a New Testament commentary on Acts at bobyandian.com. Theology Simplified is a practical guide to foundational biblical truth. Basic doctrines are not difficult, but easy to understand. They often become disguised as complicated or deep-sounding words, but the definitions are simple. Using straightforward vocabulary and down-to-earth examples, Pastor Bob makes complex theological concepts clear and practical. Eight crucial doctrines of the Christian faith are demystified. Redemption justification, sanctification, reconciliation, predestination, election, propitiation, and glorification. These eight precepts, essential for all believers to understand, come to light as you read and arrive at a deeper understanding of the finished work of Jesus Christ. To order Theology Simplified, visit our website at bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, 
healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. Welcome back to the broadcast. I simply want to say hi to all those new people that are watching today. You haven't seen this broadcast before. Someone told you about it. Bless the person that told you. And now blessed is the one who heard from them and now watching the broadcast. Uh, my gift is teaching the word of God. I can teach, I teach so much of the word of God, Old Testament, New Testament, but that's because I pastored for 33 years. I am a pastor teacher. Those two gifts work together in a pastor. And so I teach the word of God. And so the, literally the sermons I've had for 33 years, covering the word of God, all types of subjects and stuff, I just love to teach them. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the working of miracles today is still real. I believe in the five ministries of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, teachers. I believe that every believer has a, a miracle ministry and you belong in a certain part of the body of Christ and you again are open to the gifts of the Spirit. I believe this. And so again, as I preach to you and teach to you from the word of God, I don't teach anybody any different unless I'm specifically in an area that talks only to pastors, I'll minister to pastors. But you know what? Even then I apply it to everyone that goes to church for reverence and respect toward those that God has called to help run the church. And so again, here I am, you know, teaching to you and we're talking about the anatomy of revival or literally how revival begins how that it grows, how that it peaks, and then what happens after that peak is all brought out in this particular chapter. And so when you now come to verse 11, by the way, too, if you'd like to join me, maybe you've been watching more than once, you've been watching me for a while, and you know what? You already know inside yourself you're supposed to be a part of it. You know it. I didn't tell you, but the Holy Spirit, the longer I'm ministering, and you hear it, you go, I like this guy. There's just some kind of connection between my heart and your heart, what I have to say, and what you hear and would love for you to become a partner. And so I know the Holy Spirit's been speaking to many of you, and I had this in church. I mean, God would speak to people to give offerings, then they'd come back and rationalize it. Well, I, you know, I need it for this, I need it for that. And listen, if you'll just be obedient to God and begin to sow, you'll find out that the things you've been wanting and needing will come to you because you put God first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. So go to my website, bobyandian.com, and you'll find a place there on the face page how you can become a partner with me. Verse 11, and God worked special miracles through the hands of Paul. While Paul was at the school of Tyranus for two years, special miracles happened. These miracles were performed in response to Paul teaching the word of God, preaching the word of God. This revival began with miracles accompanying the word of God, signs and wonders following the word of God. And the revival ended in verse 20 as a miracle revival to the word revival. In verse 20, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed before this time was growing as miracle signs and wonders. But this was all to introduce the coming of the word of God because when the word of God comes, he then takes and divides to all of us these miracle ministries, not just the one that came and brought in the revival. These miracles and wonders are not were not the usual miracles. Notice this, God wrought special miracles and the Greek word actually means not the usual. So the usual miracles are laying hands on the sick, seeing them recover. But what happened in the next verse, we're gonna find out is something different was happening here. And again, these miracles that were happening were not the usual miracles that are brought out in this verse of scripture. They're exceptional, out of the ordinary, called special miracles. 
And it only happened this one time in Paul's ministry and the only time it happened in any revival where they took handkerchiefs and aprons to the sick and the evil spirits went out of them and the demons and the sicknesses departed from them. The Holy Spirit has ministered in a different and unique way in every revival in the word of God, but also in our lifetime. I think back on revivals. You know, when you read revivals, say about the uh, Azusa revival, one thing that designated that revival, well, I guess there was two things specifically, more of the glory cloud appeared during the services than in any other revival. In all revivals at one time or another, you see this in almost every every meeting of the, of the Azusa revival, that anointing cloud was there. And people wrote books later, old people wrote back about the fact they were there, and while their parents were in the meetings, the children were running through the glory cloud out in the lobby and stuff and in the in, in other places because this thing covered the church. Another thing that happened during that revival was that the people outside the meetings looked at the building and it looked like it was on fire. And even the uh, fire department came to put out when they got there, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a normal fire. I mean, this they could still see it, but this wasn't a regular fire. It was the fire of the Holy Spirit. It was an, it was an emblem. It was a sign special things happening during that revival that didn't happen during any other revival. The fire appearing on the building only occurred during that revival in no other. The glory cloud, again, that was so strong in that meeting did appear from time to time in other ones, but others had uh, great miracles that were happening. I think during the charismatic movement, one thing I remember, it became so commonplace after a while, you just couldn't even think about it. Legs were lengthened. They would have a person sit in the seat and, and, and put their feet out there and one foot would be a little longer than the other, one leg a little longer than the other. And they found out this is quite common in people. When they walk, a lot of times they go up and down, up and down, just slightly. As one leg is slightly longer than the other, they'll take a step and go up just a little bit, step on the other leg, it'll come down a little bit. And they don't think about it all. In fact, people have often said they would, when the, the hymns on the bottom of their pants or, or whatever, one would be a little bit shorter than the other to even it out down at the bottom. But they'd have people come up and sit on the platform and the minister would just simply take their legs and all of a sudden say in the name of Jesus and the short leg would grow out. It was amazing. We watched it so many hundreds of times that it was just incredible. It was just a common occurrence, but it only happened during the charismatic revival. It was like a special anointing for that revival. God marked it as unique from other types of revivals. We want to kind of make them all the same, lay them all out there, compare them to each other, but try to find these major common denominators and then come up with these exceptional things like this is what happens in every revival when God says no, just like individuals are different, revivals can be different and the emphasis of the revival can be different. Although we find this here in chapter 18 and chapter 19 here of the revival that hit in Ephesus, this one thing is brought out to let you know, even though revivals might have a common theme to him and a common way they begin, uh, a hunger in people's hearts to know about God and also a hunger in believers to return to the power of the Holy Spirit, you put those two together, you have a catalyst for a revival. But what also is true is this revival won't be the same as other revivals. There's something special about it. And on top of that, people often say, well, this was a special anointing. Not really. I don't believe so much in just special anointings for one thing. You know, uh, the idea of a special anointing only to do one thing isn't quite true from the word of God. The anointing will break every yoke of bondage. Jesus declared the spirit of the Lord is upon him. And the end result was his preaching of the gospel to the poor, recovering of sight to the blind, 
blind, healing the brokenhearted, setting at liberty those that were bruised. That's Luke chapter four and verse 18. One anointing, just one anointing, the anointing took care of all these needs, God's power, as with Jesus here worked through the hands of Paul and he laid hands on sick people and special miracles happened. Prayer claws were taken to the sick and demon possession was gone from him. Look at verse 12. Here's the description of these special miracles out of the ordinary so that from his body were brought to the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and the diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. You know, this honestly, I'm sure that probably this was taken from the time when, when uh, you know, uh, Jesus, the woman touched the hem of his garment and she was healed. And apparently that word went out everywhere. And later on, a whole group of people wanted to touch the hem of his garment and they were healed also. But notice this, it was the, the cloth that carried that anointing power, that healing power. And Jesus, even when the woman touched the hem of his garment, he said, power flowed out of me. Uh, your King James says, he said there that verse of scripture, he says, the anointing has gone from me. And so, that anointing, that healing power that went out of Jesus as she touched him, went out of him. And so later on that occurred too. But of course, we know that the cloth there carried that particular power. So it was that when they brought them to, and laid them on Paul's body. But here's something that made this unique. Nowhere do we find the word of God where people laid claws on him and went out and then laid them on the sick. Well, we've brought that into churches today. And listen, this is still true, but we don't so much put them on the minister who's preaching the word of God. In my own church, I would have times where we would have a healing service and people would bring handkerchiefs and lay them on the communion table at the front of the church. After I preached the word of God, I and the elders of the church would come and lay hands on those. We would command the Holy Spirit's power to be on them and then people would take those to the sick people. And we had all kinds of great reports of people that came in and they would find, and we had them put their name on them, you know, so you don't just steal a, a pack, a handful of, you say Christians do that? <laughs> yeah, Christians do that. So they would take that and go lay it on a sick person. We had tremendous reports of people that they laid them on in hospitals and in homes where they were sick. And then the healing power of God came upon them and those people rose up. Tremendous. I remember hearing a story from one minister and he had a letter from a lady and she said, I know that you lay hands on prayer cloths and send them out. And she said, would, would, the, would that power work on candy? And this guy said, and so, I mean, he wrote back to her and said, no, ma'am, I can't find that anywhere in the word of God. She said, oh, really? She said, well, I have a husband that's in prison and he's there for the wrong reason. And she said, he's in prison and they will not allow anything into that prison without examining it first. And they know what prayer clause are because they know it not only sets these guys free of the sickness and disease, but those that are demon possessed around them just go crazy. So they have stopped all that coming in. But she said, one thing they will let come in is candy. She said, I just wondered if you could lay hands on candy, but I guess it won't work. He wrote her back and said, ma'am, I'm sending you the candy right now. He said, you know what? We're going to lay hands on this candy and just believe it's going to work. Well, it did. Uh, it came into the it came into the prison. This man had this sickness. He was dying in there and the doctors couldn't cure him and all that, but they wouldn't let prayer cloths come in. But they let a they let a box of candy come in. And, and he wrote back later and told her, said, honey, I didn't bite into a piece of candy. I bit into the power of God. And that disease just left me. So who knows, we might start a candy ministry here and lay hands on candy. No, don't you dare write me and ask me to do all those things, okay? You do it yourself. Lay hands on the candy, send it out. 
or prayer cloths and take it to people. Remember, that cloth will carry the anointing of God. So again, we find here in that verse of scripture, so that from his body were brought to the sick handkerchiefs or aprons. In this case, again, we have that instead of uh, the, the clothes and coming and touching the clothes, no, the uh, cloth was laid on Paul, handkerchiefs and aprons and taken out to the sick and throughout the entire city that diseases departed from them. Verse 12, and the evil spirits went out of them. Again, the men were the ones who had the aprons. The women were the ones who had the handkerchiefs. The women's came in early. From it, from from up until noon, that school was used for the training of medical students. After that, Paul came and started his meetings in there, and he would preach and teach. The power of God would come upon him, and women would bring their their uh, claws and lay upon him the handkerchiefs and lay on him. And then later, the men would come in during the afternoon after they got off work, and they would take the uh, off of them the work aprons, shake out the tools, and lay it on Paul. And they would go from there and give it to the sick. And all of a sudden, across town, demons were being cast out and sicknesses were being healed. And so again, the aprons and work aprons, which the men brought for their jobs was because they were making silver statues of Diana. We'll come to that in verse 24, the biggest industry in town. And so the men came to the meetings in the evening to join their wives. And when the spirit of God moved strongly in the meeting, the handkerchiefs and aprons were taken from Paul's body, delivered to the sick and the demon possessed. Great healings and miracles took place. Wow. See you tomorrow and we'll continue from here. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts by visiting our website at bobyandian.com. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. If you would like to contact Bob Yandian Ministries, visit bobyandian.com and click on Contact. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.